if you ever do choose to become a preacher, Patrick, make sure you preach inside the sacred walls of a church and not outside like some commoner, Uncle Patrick said with a jab to Davy's morning service. He grinned at John with a smug expression. Without a moment's hesitation, Patrick answered very matter-of-factly, Jesus preached outside? Welcome to the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, with your hosts, Max, Liz, and Nigel. This podcast is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And I'm your narrator, Denny Brownlee. By the way, as you listen to this episode from the audiobook The Voice, The Revolution, and the Key, keep in mind you can download your very own copy of it by visiting audible.com. That's www.audible.com. And you'll find the entire collection of Jenny L. Cody's Epic Order of the Seven books by going to her website, epicorderoftheseven.com. On today's episode, we'll bring you Chapter 18 from the audiobook The Voice, The Revolution, and the Key. And afterwards, to see how much you've retained from our story, we'd love to give you a little quiz, hmm? First, let's bring out your hosts for this and every episode, Max, Liz, and Nigel. Hello. 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 Well done, you guys. That was pretty good. Thank you, lad. We've been thinking about putting together a singing group. You have? Uh, We have? Well, that's a news nugget to me, indeed. Well, okay, I've been thinking about it. Uh, Besides, Liz, Mousy, another lad said we were good. He said pretty good. Aye, and we were barely trying. Uh, Well, Liz, I I must say, though, I, I do rather enjoy waxing melodiously. Why, it's reminiscent of my school days when I was captain of the old mouse glee club, the maestros. Get it? Maestros. <laughs> the, the maestros. That's right, the maestros. And I'll have you know, we were voted the county's best rodent corral, narrowly beating out our crosstown rivals, the nifty nibblers. <laughs> the nifty nibblers? <laughs> I would have thought the chipmunks would have been the team to beat. (laughs) Fine. Uh, Mayhaps a singing group isn't our cup of tea after all. Now, come on, Nigel. We were just playing. I mean, making all county. That's, I mean, that's really impressive. And and you sing well. So if you guys formed a group, where would you sing? Hmm. I think I could get us booked at the Kennel Club. And there's the post-hibernation hip-hop every spring. So what? Uh, or we could go sing to the sick kitties at the veterinary hospital. Well, see, there you go. You know, this might have some potential. Well, what should we do then, lad? Well, first, get some songs together and, and just start rehearsing. Aye. And it won't be long before you're ready to take this on the road. I I, I beg your pardon. Do what? Take it on the road. No, no, no. That's quite a... What? Let's think about it, monsieur. Where is the last place we would want to perform? What? I just said get your act together and take it on the road. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, well, that was just an expression. I am not worried about the expression. I am worried about the expressway. Or even the road less traveled. Hi. Hey, we'll not be going anywhere near the road. Okay, okay, okay. Message received. And, and good for you to stay away from the road. Hi. But, well, there goes the dream. At least it was a short dream. And best of all, we awoke from it in one piece. Now, announcer chap, you mentioned something at the top of the show about a quiz. Right. I want you all to listen very closely to today's chapter. And afterwards, I'll have a few brain teasers for you. Well, of course, I am always up for an intellectual challenge. As am I, my pet. Uh, Max? 
Um, I know. Uh, let's make teams. Me and Liz against you and Anunza lad. Now, how is that possibly fair? Uh, I can hear you. Well, no offense, old boy, but I mean, come on. Uh, I have the answer sheet. Oh, well then, I say, teams it is then, what? Hey! <laughs> so, anyway, after the chapter, a fun little quiz. With Nigel, announce a lad, and Max, and Liz. So instead of taking it on the road. Let's continue with our episode. Chapter 18, A Voice in the Present. Hanover, April 1747. The sound of a horse coming up the entrance road to Studley caught Sarah's attention. She had been nervously waiting for word about her father, Isaac Winston. He and three other men had been indicted by the highest court in the colony of Virginia and had to appear at the general court in Williamsburg to answer charges. Isaac had permitted a dissenting minister to speak without a license in his home at Laurel Grove in October 1745, the same month George Whitfield fanned the flames of religious fervor in Hanover County. Other charges included non-attendance at the Anglican Church and helping Samuel Morris to build several reading houses in the area for the purpose of reading religious material. Sarah's dissenting father, Isaac, had actually stood before her magistrate husband John in Hanover Courthouse to pay fines for not attending church. A war of silence raged in the Henry household that night. Sarah set her mending down and stood from her seat on the porch when she recognized her brother John riding up the lane. He smiled and waved his hand happily. "'Please let this mean good news,' Sarah said to herself, hurriedly running down the stairs." John jumped off his horse with a big grin and leaned over to kiss his sister on the cheek. All is well, Sally. Father only had to pay twenty shillings plus court costs. No jail time required, he reported. Sarah put her hand over her heart and closed her eyes with relief. Thank goodness. Father and the others had to stand before Governor Gooch and his counsel, but our friend Peter Fontaine was on the jury and confirmed that the services held at Laurel Grove were not riotous, nor did they go against the teachings of the Church of England, John explained. Sarah tightened her fists. It infuriates me that Father had to stand before anyone save his Lord. Still, I'm relieved to hear this news. I've got more happy news from Williamsburg, John added. Remember when that preacher William Robinson came through here a few years ago and the dissenters begged him to take a donation? He said he would only take it if he could use it to help the education of Samuel Davies in Pennsylvania. Well, before Father's appearance in court, that young minister Samuel Davies stood before the governor and although he was opposed by Attorney General Peyton Randolph, he was granted a license to preach at four meeting houses. He calmly presented his case drawing from the Toleration Act of 1689, so he honored the law and used proper procedure to secure his license. He'll be the first non-Anglican minister in Hanover County, and he's going to be preaching only four miles away from Studley. Samuel Davies is coming to Pole Green Meeting House? Sarah exclaimed. When does he arrive? He'll be preaching this Sunday, John answered with a wide smile. But Sally... I want you to know that when Davies learned about the case against Father and the others, he remained in Williamsburg to be with them. He started ministering within minutes of receiving his license. How wonderful! 
cheered Sarah, clasping her hands with joy. I know he and father made fast friends. Yes, and Reverend Davies wants to come here to Studley to meet you and John, John continued. Father explained the tense situation of John's position as magistrate and sheriff of Hanover, his brother's position as priest at St. Paul's, and your attendance at Pole Green Meeting House. <laughs> Davies has such high respect for the law, for the church, and for the family, that he wants to set everyone at ease and start off on the right foot here. What a breath of fresh air he will be to all of us, Sarah exulted with a sigh of relief, grasping his arm to take him into the house. We need his calming influence. Blessed are the peacemakers. Liz sat with Nigel next to a lilac bush, listening in on their conversation. How would you like to deliver a note this afternoon? Do you mean via airmail, my dear? Nigel quipped, preening his whiskers. I'd be delighted. There must be four hundred people here, Patrick exclaimed as he pulled on the reins to stop the horse. The eleven-year-old boy was taking on more and more responsibilities, including driving his mother and sisters in the carriage. Today he had the privilege of driving them to church at Polgreen. Look, there's Sam Meredith and his family. They're here too. He waved over at his friend Sam in the distance. People were arriving by foot and on horses, carriages, gigs, and wagons lined up and down the road. It was a beautiful spring morning, and given the lack of rain over the past few days, the roads were dry and easy to travel for both man and beast. The sun was rising bright in the blue sky overhead. Birds darted to and fro in the trees that provided shade in the grassy areas where the people gathered and excitedly greeted one another on this happy morning. Eleven o'clock was the appointed time for the service to begin, as it was the midway point of the twice-daily feeding for the farm animals. This allowed people enough time to travel to worship and back. Here, Pat, please take Mary, Sarah said. She handed the three-year-old girl to Patrick as the others climbed down the side of the carriage. She held a blanket out to her nine-year-old daughter. Jane, please take this and watch out for Lucy. The girl did as she was asked. Patrick clapped his hands once more and smiled. Come here, little Mary. He set her gently on the ground and then offered a hand to his mother to help her down from the carriage. I wonder if we'll be able to hear Reverend Davies, especially if he's inside. Only 80 people can fit inside the building, so he'll have to speak outside, Sarah answered, taking Mary by the hand. She smiled broadly, looking around at the crowd gathered to hear the new pastor. What a wonderful beginning! to outgrow the building on his first day. I see Grandfather Ike over there, Anne cheered, pointing to a tree where Isaac Winston was waving them over. After you, little girl, Patrick told her with his hand at her back. He followed his sisters over to his grandfather, and as Jane spread the blanket out for all of them to sit, he shook Isaac's hand. Good morning, Pat. I'm glad you're joining us today, Isaac said with a wink and a smile. You're going to learn a lot from Reverend Davies, so pay close attention. He's a great man. I will, Grandfather, Patrick answered, smiling. Just then, Sam Meredith came up to him. Hi, Pat, greeted Sam, then tipped his hat to all the family members there. Good morning. Hi, Sam. Want to go fishing later? Patrick asked him. Sure, Sam answered. He saw Jane straightening out the blanket and smiled. Hi, Jane. Jane smiled a bashful grin. Hello, Sam. Have you seen the Sheltons here? 
I'd love to see Sally. There she is, Patrick answered for Sam, spotting Sally about twenty yards away, sitting with her family and another little friend. He smiled and waved at the dark-haired girl who returned the wave and the smile. Who's that with her? Sam looked where Patrick pointed. That's Elizabeth Strong. Her family's new to the area, and she and Sally have become fast friends. I think you'll like her, Jane. I want to meet her, Jane said. Mother, may I go say hi to Sally? Not now, Jane. They're getting ready to start the service, Sarah answered, gesturing to the front of the crowd. You can go say hello afterward. Samuel Morris was calling the people to attention. In order for them to be able to see and hear the pastor, they had positioned a flatbed wagon near the entrance to the building. As Samuel Morris welcomed everyone and recounted the long wait for the arrival of Davies, Max and Liz peeked out from the burlap sack where they hid in the corner of the Henry carriage. Looks like Davies is already surpassing expectations, Liz cheered. I cannot wait to hear him speak. He don't look too healthy, lass observed Max, with a frown, as the slender, frail-looking pastor climbed up into the flatbed wagon to speak. He was nearly six feet tall, and dressed in the black gown and white wig of a parson. Sadly, Davies has tuberculosis, Liz answered with a frown, and he's only twenty-four years old. But the maker has allowed this for a reason, no? The shadow of a bird passed overhead, and Nigel came in for a landing. The pigeon perched on the side of the carriage and let the little mouse hop off before taking flight back up to the trees. Reverend Henry appears to be missing quite a few members of his flock who have wandered over to this grassy pasture for worship this morning, Nigel reported. That'll make the laddie madder than a hornet's nest, Max noted. It will be quite the showdown at the Henry household this afternoon, I assure you predicted Nigel. He patted Liz on the shoulder. I delivered your invitation to Reverend Henry as requested, my dear. Merci, Nigel, Liz replied. She pointed to Davies, who started to speak with a loud baritone voice that immediately captured the crowd's rapt attention. Samuel Davies has finally arrived in Hanover. Let us hope that Armageddon does not arrive this afternoon as well. I really liked him. Did you see how he kept the people listening to every word he said? Patrick asked as he gently snapped the reins to urge the horses along. He had a lot more depth to his sermon than I'm used to hearing. No offense to Uncle Patrick. None taken, Sarah answered with a satisfied grin. Tell me what you heard that impressed you most, Pat. Can you give me the main points of his sermon? Sure I can, Patrick answered. The main point of the sermon was that the Lord is the supreme ruler over the entire world. No earthly kingdoms can compare to his, so the people of the earth should be glad, like it says in Psalm 97. Sarah raised her eyebrows, impressed with all that her son had soaked up from the sermon. My, my, Pat, you were really listening. He grinned and looked over the horse's head, which bobbed up and down as the animal clip-clopped down the road. I always listen, and I remember everything. Oh, really? His mother asked playfully with her head tilted to the side as she repositioned Mary on her lap. Can you recite some of Davy's sermon? Patrick cleared his throat and adjusted his tricorn hat with a grin. He held the reins with one hand and lifted his other hand as if to make a suggestion. 
His tone was matter-of-fact, and he wore a pleasant expression. Wise and good rulers are a huge blessing to their subjects. In a government where wisdom sits above everything, and where justice and fairness are balanced, where liberty and property are safe and secure, where motives are kept in check, where helpless innocence is protected, he said with a gesture to his sisters, and where there is order, then peace and happiness flow through the land, as does, he paused and gestured to the Totopotomy, a creek. His little sisters looked over at the flowing creek as the sun danced off the water. In such a land, every heart is happy and every face looks cheerful. He smiled, placed his hand over his heart, and nodded, willing his mother and sisters to agree with what he was saying. His little sisters bobbed their heads up and down, following his lead and smiling. His expression then turned sour, and he lowered the pitch of his voice. But, on the other hand, woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, that is, weak, ill-advised, thoughtless, and bad-tempered. Solomon's wise words of caution have come true time and again throughout history. He looked back at his little sisters, who were enthralled with his speech. He frowned and emphasized every point with a finger pointed at each sister. Empires have fallen. Liberty has been chained. Property has been invaded. The lives of men have been randomly taken away, and misery and despair have come in like a flood when the government has been entrusted to the hands of childish tyranny. Sarah looked back at her daughters, whose eyes widened as if they were guilty of spreading the destruction of a tyrant. She smiled and then gazed at Patrick, who shook his head sadly and continued, It has frequently been the unhappy fate of nations to be enslaved to such rulers, but such is the sad state of all human governments because they are run by flawed humans. Without the guiding hand of the supreme king, this world would fall into confusion. Patrick went on with a flourish of emphasis as he gazed up at the heavens with an upturned palm. We sometimes hear of wars and rumors of wars, of thrones tottering and kingdoms falling and of nations raging like the waves of a stormy sea. In these times, as says the psalmist, we can say, The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty and is armed with strength. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. As he quoted the psalm, he kept his hopeful gaze upward, as if speaking directly to God. Patrick paused and let a moment of silence hang in the air before resuming his sermon. Sometimes the desires of foreign countries, or even of tyrants in our own land, may threaten our liberties, as a cannon aimed and ready to fire against the church of God, he began again, slowly raising the urgency in his voice, while every believing heart trembles in fear. He lifted a hand triumphantly to the heavens, but the Lord reigns. Let the earth and let the church rejoice. Patrick then balled his fist and gave a triumphant glance toward his mother. He will overrule the revolutions of the world for her good, and the united powers of earth and hell shall not prevail against her. 
"'Amen!' exclaimed Jane in the back of the carriage. Sarah and Patrick exchanged a smile. He was making Davy's sermon understandable for his sisters. "'Because the one who is wisest of all sits at the helm. He can steer the feeble vessel of his church through the raging stormy seas. He sometimes may seem to lie asleep, but in the middle of extreme danger he will awake and still the winds and the sea with his command, "'Peace! Be still!' Patrick held out his hand as if calming raging waters all around the carriage. Men may form powerful political schemes in defiance of God, but God frustrates the plans of the crafty, so their efforts will not succeed. He catches those who think they are wise in their own cleverness, so their cunning schemes are stopped. Patrick pulled on the reins to stop the horses and held them loosely in his hand for the perfect pause of emphasis. Solomon wrote that the hearts of men, yes, of kings, are in the hand of the Lord. He then snapped the reins and steered the horse to the left, and he turns them wherever he will. Patrick stopped speaking and looked forward to the road ahead. Sarah sat in stunned silence at hearing her son take the words of Reverend Samuel Davies and restate them in his own expressive language. Patrick's face then broke out in a big grin, and he looked at his mother. How was that? Liz smiled and whispered softly beneath the burlap. C'est magnifique, my Henry. You should have heard him, Sarah exclaimed happily. You knew itinerant preacher? Uncle Patrick asked with a huff. Sarah leaned in close to him. No, dear brother-in-law, your namesake nephew. She smiled and sat back in her seat. Patrick took Davy's sermon, and might I remind you, he is not an itinerant preacher, but a minister licensed by the governor of Virginia, and made it his own. He kept the message the same, but restated it in such a way the girls could understand what Davies had preached. Patrick simplified it for them, and he enunciated every word with perfect diction, Sarah recounted, exaggerating each word for emphasis. John raised his eyebrows. Patrick has one of the most amazing memories I've ever seen. He can read something one time in an assignment, and remember it when I later quiz him on the subject. So he remembers what he hears and what he reads, Uncle Patrick stated. We just need to make sure that what he is hearing and reading are proper. Well, I plan to take Patrick with me to hear Reverend Davies as often as possible, Sarah told him. He will also continue to go with me to St. Paul's to hear his uncle, John interjected quickly, gesturing to his brother Patrick. Patrick can then decide for himself which form of worship is best. They heard Max barking out in the front of the house. Oh, that must be Reverend Davies now, Sarah guessed, standing with a broad smile to go welcome him. Uncle Patrick's face flushed, and he leaned into John as Sarah walked away. Davies? Is here? No? Her note didn't say anything about Davies being here today. John shrugged his shoulders. Liz and Nigel shared a look of uncertainty as Sarah escorted Samuel Davies into the parlor. Nigel whispered, The rumors of war may no longer be rumors. Here he comes. 
Right this way, Reverend Davies, Sarah said. John and Uncle Patrick stood and cleared their throats. May I introduce Hanover's newest addition, Reverend Davies? Sarah said happily. This is my husband, John, and my brother-in-law, Reverend Patrick Henry. It's an honor, and please call me Samuel, Davies said with a warm smile and a hand extended to the men. Reverend, uh, uh, Samuel, repeated John, shaking his hand. Davies' grip was surprisingly firm, and the young minister looked him squarely in the eye. Welcome to the Henry Hume. Thank you, Major Henry, Davies said. I am honored. Samuel, Uncle Patrick said coolly, next taking Davies' hand. I understand you had quite the turnout this morning at Pearl Green. On the lawn, no less. How very quaint. Davies held out both hands and humbly answered, Why the Lord would allow me to speak for him to such a large crowd, I do not know, but I am grateful. The far more important thing is that the people came to hear the word of God, not to hear Samuel Davies. Please sit, Sarah offered as she proceeded to pour cups of tea for the men. Uncle Patrick raised his eyebrows, taking his cup and saucer in hand with a frown. The people can hear the word at St. Paul's, but many chose to indeed go hear you, Reverend Davies. The pews in my parish were dotted with noticeably absent members today. Davies clenched his jaw and nodded gently. Reverend Henry, I wanted to come meet John and Sarah's family today, as I understand the tensions that have surrounded the Henry and Winston families. But I was also hoping especially to meet you at some point soon, so I'm delighted you are here today so I can speak my heart plainly to you. Uncle Patrick sipped on his tea and gave a skeptical, Oh? Davies nodded and held out his open hands. I wish to make it clear from the start that my purpose is not to try to take any of your parishioners away. I will never speak ill of the Anglican Church or of you, as I've regrettably heard that some of the dissenters have done. My respect for you, a fellow servant of the Lord, is far too great, he shared. He then turned to John and said, As is my respect for the law and for the crown. My goal is to answer the call of ministering to the numerous lost souls of Hanover, and to do my part in reaching whatever small portion the Lord may bring to me. And I will do so within the boundaries of the law, down to the letter. Besides, there are far more lost lambs and sheep than either one of us could ever hope to shepherd alone. Don't you agree, Reverend Henry? Uncle Patrick set his cup and saucer on the table and straightened his waistcoat. There are indeed many who are lost among us, but I would like to know why you think you have a better message and way of reaching them than the Church of England. Not better, just different, Davies answered energetically. Just as Paul and Barnabas disagreed on how to go on mission and therefore parted ways, we might disagree on how to deliver the good news, but in the end our goal is one and the same, to reach those who are lost. John shared a quick glance with his brother and cleared his throat. <clears throat> I think my brother and I are both concerned with how other preachers have stirred the people into an emotional frenzy and disrupted the community. Can you assure us you will not do the same? I am charged with keeping the peace in Hanover. As am I, Davies quickly answered. While the people's hearts may be stirred by the Lord, I am not one of those preachers who will tell them they must prove their faith through an outward show of emotions. 
I believe the actions of a heart devoted to God show themselves in how we treat one another. He stopped and held out his hand. I am here to offer my pledge of working side by side with you, not against you, Davies promised. I give you my hand of friendship, and I hope you will accept it. John nodded slowly and leaned forward to shake his hand. Very well, Samuel. I appreciate your words and your offer. Davies smiled and shook John's hand, then turned to Uncle Patrick, who breathed in deeply and pursed his lips. The skeptical reverend extended his hand. I am not convinced, but I shall give you the benefit of the doubt. Davies shook his hand and nodded. I am happy to take that as a starting point, Reverend Henry. Thank you for listening. Sarah noticed Patrick standing in the doorway and motioned for him to join the adults. Pat, come in. I want you to meet Reverend Davies. Patrick walked over and bowed slightly to the minister. Nice to meet you, Reverend. I enjoyed your sermon today. Sarah put her hand on Patrick's arm and proudly added, He even recited parts of your sermon on the drive home. Davies smiled and stood to take Patrick's hand. He placed a hand on the boy's shoulder. At six feet, he towered over the boy. I am honored, young Master Henry. You are a fine lad. Perhaps you will grow up to be a minister such as your Uncle Patrick. Patrick smiled and nodded humbly. I'm not sure what I want to do, sir. I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord, Davies said. Jeremiah 29, 11 and he'll show you exactly what they are with time. He smiled and patted Patrick on the back. Now, I do not wish to take up your family's Sabbath, so I will be going. Thank you for allowing me to visit, and I look forward to seeing you again soon. The men stood and politely shook hands as Sarah got up. I'll show you out, Reverend. Call me Samuel, please, Davies requested again firmly as he followed her out of the parlor. If you ever do choose to become a preacher, Patrick, make sure you preach inside the sacred walls of a church and not outside like some commoner, Uncle Patrick said with a jab to Davy's morning service. He grinned at John with a smug expression. Without a moment's hesitation, Patrick answered very matter-of-factly, Jesus preached outside? The smug expression melted off Uncle Patrick's face as his nephew exited the room, calling for Max to go fishing with him at the creek. Liz stifled a giggle, and Nigel preened his whiskers jubilantly over Patrick's quick thinking. John swallowed a laugh. Brother, I think you might have met your match today. You mean with that Davies? Uncle Patrick answered with a harumph. No, John replied with a grin. With your nephew. So we, Patrick, were really a bright lad. I suspect the shades of things to come, no? Indeed. Patrick is already showing signs of brilliance. And now it's your turn. Ah, yes. We're preempting Nigel's news nuggets today for Nigel's nuggets of knowledge. Oui. Uh, Monsieur Denis, you may fire when ready. All right. And remember, these questions will all pertain to today's chapter. So we'll start with an easy one. How many people came to church at Polgreen? Ruff, Max. Patrick said there must be 400 people. Excellent, Max. Good job. All right, so next question. What Bible verse does Samuel Davies quote to Patrick about his future? Huzzah! Uh, Nigel? Oh, that would be Jeremiah 29, 11. 
I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord. Spot on, little friend. All right, so one last question. Who was hiding in a burlap sack? We were! were. (laughs) That was an easy one. Where did you get these great questions? Uh, Well, from the VRK study guide, of course. In case you missed it, there is now, by popular demand, a study guide to go alongside this book, The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, to help you and your family get the most out of this wonderful tale. Explain what you mean, old boy, by popular demand. Well, over the years, Jenny's readers, and the parents who love them, have realized that her epic order books are far more than entertaining, they're they're informative. I mean, you can learn a great deal from them, so why not make the most of that with an accompanying study guide? And we started with VRK, The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key. Indeed. So, to get your copy and begin digging even deeper into our rich history, simply log on to Jenny's website, epicorderoftheseven.com, and click the Books tab, where you'll find all the great books by Jenny L. Cody, as well as the VRK Study Guide. Again, go to epicorderoftheseven.com. And this would be a great time to check in with our illustrious author, Miss Jenny L. Cooty. Hi, let's head to Jenny's corner. Hello, Miss Jenny. Hey, Max and Liz. What can I help you with? We were telling everyone about the VRK study guide, and it occurred to me just how much historical detail you had to know to tell the story. Uh, Madame, how do you know so much about history? How do I know so much history? I've studied it. I've read about it. I've been to where history happened. I got the history bug early on when I was growing up in Virginia. My parents lived first in Seaford, Virginia. We moved there when I was seven months old from North Carolina. And my mother used to drive through the battlefields of Yorktown to get to the grocery store. And some of the earliest memories I have of life I can see Surrender Field and the readouts and the battlefield of Yorktown, my little mind's eye through the car window. And then they would take me to places like Colonial Williamsburg. And I was the kid running down the street on Duke of Gloucester Street and going into Raleigh Tavern and in the bakery there and getting some gingerbread cookies and going Christmas caroling and seeing the candles in the window. And then going to museums everywhere we went. When we used to live on our sailboat for a month every summer, my parents would stop in every port. We would go to every little tiny museum that was there, whether it was just a front room of a marina or it was an extensive museum set in a place where a lot of history happened. So it was really my parents that instilled the love of history in me by taking me to these places by showing me where history happened and encouraging me to study it on my own. Of course, as I told you before, then I started reading books about history and not just what was required for school, but because I really wanted to learn and study it. And then when this channel called the History Channel came out, well, game over. Guess what became my favorite channel on TV? The History Channel. Because then I could watch these incredible videos and films of of history of what happened in World War II and World War I and any period of history. So it is really, um, it's a joy to be a student of history that you never stop learning. You never arrive in the study of history because there's so much out there. And of course, it's a great excuse to go traveling. Liz, you got to love it. 
I have a great excuse that I have to go back to France again and again. It's for the cause. It's for the children, right? (laughs) I have to go back to France, and I have to go to Rome, and I have to go to London. Great excuses to go travel. So get on out there and go see where history happened. Go read about it. See a film about it. Go with your parents to a museum. Talk to them about it. I am sure wherever you live, wherever you're tuning in, wherever you are in the world, history happened where you live. Go check it out. See what happened. And then talk to your family about it. And who knows? Maybe you'll even write a book about it someday. I dare you. <laughs> I double-dog dare you. <laughs> oh, oui. uh, thank you, Miss Jenny. And uh, take me with you when you go to France, s'il vous plaît. Aye, and drop me off in Scotland on your way. And uh, since you're passing through the UK, uh, drop me anywhere near London, if you please. Yeah, and, and, and then you can drop me off at, um, um... At the airport? Because we'll all be needing a ride, lad. Yeah, be, be sure and take pictures. Uh, well, so anyway, that's all for today. We'll see you next time. At least, uh, I know I'll be here. Once again, the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And remember, you can download your very own copy of the audiobook, The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, by visiting audible.com. That's www.audible.com. And you can find the entire collection of Jenny L. Cody's Epic Order of the Seven books by going to her website, www.epicorderofthe7.com. And I'm Denny Brownlee. Thank you for listening, and join us next time on the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast. Have a grandi! A bientôt, mes amis! Huzzah! And ta-ta! And always remember, you are loved and you are able.